Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today, we're talking to Holly Ringland, author of The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, about the power of female characters in all their flawed glory, how to approach descriptive writing so that it's not all pate and no biscuit. We've an old teacher of Holly's to thank for that delicious, if slightly dismissive, metaphor, and why it will always ultimately be your readers who bring your story to life. Late afternoon sunlight poured into the cab. Alice started. She'd fallen asleep without realising. Dried tears cracked in the corners of her eyes, and there was a kink in her neck. She straightened up and stretched. Harry licked her hand. She let him. She was too tired to push him away again. No longer on the highway, they were bouncing noisily along a rough dirt track. A pink bruise had formed on her knee, where it had knocked against the door handle as the truck jostled over bumps bumps and dusty pockmarks. Alice craved salty sea air. June had her window down, one tanned elbow resting on the open sill. Her graying curls moved gently in the wind. Alice studied her profile. June didn't look like her father, but felt so familiar. When she tucked a curl behind her ear, the silver bracelets jangled on her wrists. From each one, a small charm dangled with a pressed yellow petal inside. She glanced at Alice, who was too slow at acting asleep. You're awake. Through the blur of her pretend sleep eyelashes, Alice saw June smile and shake the bracelets on her wrist. You like them? I made these myself. All the flowers, they come from my farm. Alice turned her head away to look out the window. Each flower is a secret language. When I wear a combination of flowers together, it's like I'm writing my own secret code that no one else can understand unless they know my language. Today I thought I'd wear just one flower. A muscle twitched in Alice's cheek. June changed down gears, the bracelets chiming in response. Want to know what they mean? I'll tell you the secret. Hi, Holly, and thank you so much for joining us on the Ref Raff podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. We're so happy to have you. Um, for those of our listeners who have yet to read your beautiful debut novel, The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, can you tell us what it's about? I sure can. Uh, the Lost Flowers of Alice Hart follows the story of Alice, who we meet when she is nine. She's growing up in an idyllic seaside home with her mother and her mother's garden, which is full of hidden messages Alice doesn't understand. When tragedy irrevocably changes Alice's life, she goes to live with the grandmother she never knew existed on her grandmother's native flower farm. And there she learns a language of Australian native flowers as a way to say the things that are too hard to speak. Uh, Alice grows up and begins to dream and falls in love. Uh, But then a devastating betrayal and having to leave home again makes her come to realise that sometimes flowers can't say, uh, can't speak for us. And um, if we want the freedom that we crave, the only way to get it is to have the courage to possess the most powerful story that we have, which is our own. 
Oh, you just summed it up so well. <laughs> me, me trying to sum it up to Amy, like, the other week, I was like, and then this happens, and then, and then she's here. It's so good. And she then she's up there. Oh, yeah. I really want to see that. Yeah. I want to see oh, that. People, yeah. people will pay to see that. I would. I would pay. Yeah. Would pay. Yeah. I, absolutely. That can be the, maybe the riffraff after this. Oh, there we go. Absolutely. Scrap there the normal go. format of the Perfect. live just make it a drama. I'm ready for theatre. Ready. Ready. <laughs> so, um, so the book's obviously heavily dominated by female characters, mm. and, um, and so many interesting female and complex female oh, characters. And so what is it about the kind of female narrative that captures your imagination and, and your attention? That is a great question. I think it was a, maybe a pre-conscious thing in my writing uh, because I think in my own life I've been saved over and over and over and over and over again by women that I have been lucky to love and be loved by. And I think one of the greatest love stories of my life have been the women that have raised me, the women that I've chosen as my family and have chosen me um, across cultures, across geographies, um, across joy and tragedy. And I think a big part of writing this novel was about Alice finding her voice but in Alice finding her voice, it's about all of us finding our voice and women finding our voices because we are so often silenced in so many ways. And so I really wanted – it was kind of not hugely – I didn't want it to be like, you know, labouring and, and burdening you and bashing you on the head about this is women's, you know, because there are also really incredible men in the novel as well. But uh, a massive driving power for me writing the book was thinking about the women surrounding me, if you like, at a, at a higher, higher level while I was writing. And I think that transferred into the story. And female relationships like, should be celebrated, you know. Like, I, feel like I feel exactly the same about my female relationships. And, yeah. like, so that's, yeah, how lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, the book is packed full of imagery. It's, mm. it's, it's everywhere and it's so beautiful and it's so evocative. Oh, thank you. A lot of writers find very descriptive writing mm. quite fear. They've got a purple prose. Yeah, they've got a real yeah. fear of it. And yeah. I, I think Amy and I are both the same. Like we're not particularly descriptive writers and mm. I would love to be. Could you talk us, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you approach writing descriptively and any tips that you have? Yes, for sure. Um, when I was younger, I used to get the very stern writing teachers. I got the red pen and the purple prose and I got the, I remember one saying to me, your writing is like pate. Where are the biscuits? <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's delicious. And it was, you know, I mean, of course it was, it was a, a derogatory way of saying to me, it's too rich. Mm. And so and I, so I took that on to see how that could be useful to me because when I write, I don't think to myself, pause here and write descriptively. Everything that I, everything that I write in describing anything that's not, um, moving the story along, that's not pacing or plot, I use the senses to talk about what is around the characters. And it will always be through the perception, at least to me, I don't know if this translates to the reader, but it will always be through the perception of the character that I'm with. So, for example, uh, Alice tells most of this story or the third person narrator that's very close on her shoulder tells this story. And the way that the world looks while we are with Alice is 
part of Alice's dreamy character, part of her yearning, imagining character. And so the senses and spending time idly looking at things and absorbing them and seeing how they reflect the metaphor for her emotional state. Everything that I've written, I aspired to write to have purpose to expose to the reader how Alice was feeling or Twig or June or Candy or whoever had the narrator's sort of spotlight. And so tips for writing descriptions is any description that you're going to write, this is what I aspired to do, was it, it needs to have purpose. So one that comes to my mind, for example, is when Alice is in the desert, she's on the couch, she's waiting for Dylan to come over. She observes the caterpillars following each other by the, the silk thread that's illuminated in the light. And so the whole idea to me about that is, you know, they're these blind little creatures following each other's silk trails in the light and she's waiting for this dude to come to her house who she will follow to the ends of the earth even though she knows deep down that she's blind but also all the generations Mm. following each other exactly you know all that history that's being passed down and oh and by you know the, the 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 water in the river at thornfield and the way that the river looks so evocative to alice you know that once you start to learn her ancestral stories of people that have been there before her the women have gone to the river and had the same sensory experience connected to love and to a man and to sorrow and heartbreak so a lot of people talk about the detail and the, and the description and it's not that I sat down to be like I'm going to write the great purple prose novel it's more like a, rather than you know we all hear that show don't tell and And rather than put that hat on too firmly, when I'm writing, I think about what does the world feel, look, smell, taste like? And, and more than that, what are all of those things connected to emotionally? How can I like reveal the story through how the character is sensorily experiencing it? Does that make sense? That does make total sense. Great. Interesting. Like, I'm interested in that in terms of, is that something that you just hold within you, that you, that's your intention to kind of, like, with the kind of foreshadowing of their emotions and all that mm. kind of stuff? Is that something that you hold within you? Or when you're, when you're, you know that you want to write a, the mm. things that show those particular things, mm. do you plan that? Are you like, are you like, okay, this is, do you write it down or is it just all kind of in, in your head and you just know that's your intention? I don't mean this in any way to sound waffly or wanky. Is it okay to say wanky? Yes. Yeah, right, great. Wanky, wanky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. Yeah. Constant Australian, just checking. Um, I don't plan it. Okay. It 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 happens to me uh while I'm writing because I think it's also part of the world building, the imagining, the feeling. If Alice is if Alice or any of my characters are hurting or joyful or going through hell or living the best day of their life, um I found that I had to be as well. And the way that I know how to do that through stories, both as a consumer and listener of them and reader of them. And even with your girlfriends and it's stories come to life when you talk about the way the light fell, what the day felt like, what memories it reminded you of as a kid, because the air feels the same. Like our memories are plugged into our senses and our senses are universal, which plugs a reader into a writer's words. So I think it's, partly who I am and it's also how I build the scene as I'm writing it and then later in the agonizingly endless amount of rewrites (laughs) and edits 
you cut away the stuff that is superfluous so that you leave things like the caterpillar trails to speak for the dark man coming over the hill. Mm. Well, talking of that dark man, none mm. of your characters get an easy ride. No. They all have had trauma. They've all had difficult experiences. And indeed, that's, that's what draws a lot of them together. Mm. Was it your intention to sort of move away from the sort of happy fairy tale, happy ending cliche in order to round them out? Or was it just that that's how they came out to you? I think it was a combination of both. And I don't mean that to be an on the fence answer. It was like an equal parts of both. Uh, Prior to writing this, I read a lot of traditional fairy tales and none of them have happy endings often. I mean, there are the ones. And then the prince married the princess and they lived happily ever after. But was the princess happy? Yeah, that's not an ending. Like, that's not, that's not <laughs> that's an ending. That's That's right. <laughs> and and the, the truest sense of a fairy tale has real darkness at its core and has great warnings and gruesome sort of scenes and that sort of thing. When I wrote this, I wanted to write something that was fairy tale-ish that that was imbued with that sense of sensory magic and that sort of thing and though I also wanted to ground it in reality to make that magic live and the only way I knew how to do that was wounds attract wounds in people attract wounded people and we are drawn together as much by our joy as our wounds and and we're all looking for safety and love in each other and then that creates more wounds or it creates a hole and I wanted it to be, I wanted Alice and the cast of characters and their stories in Lost Flowers to be real and magical and messy. And so it was finding a way to, to make them all fit together and to show what we reveal to each other. If we all sat down upon first meeting, we're like, oh, this is where I'm really flawed. <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, you cut to the chase quicker. It'd be really handy for relationships. Really. Yeah, it would. It would. Like, yeah, it would right, probably cool. save us a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of speculation and like <laughs> time panicking. And, yes. Yeah. yeah we totally. Make that a rule as well. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, rather than the sort of two-week dating process, it's like, oh, this is what the mo- this is what you're dealing with. Yeah. Great. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> Bye. <Yeah. laughs> Just write it down beforehand. Yeah. 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 Screening. <laughs> screening process. Um. So while. Sorry. While much of the narrative kind of revolves around Alice, it mm. frequently jumps in and out of your other characters' voices, yeah. making it a very layered read. Oh, um, so why was it important to let your other characters have their own voices and how did you kind of like keep them separate? And Yeah, I um, These are the great questions, you guys. <laughs> They're so good. Well, you're answering them beautifully. Um, yeah, oh, thank you like, so like, much. You you're good at writing descriptions because you're oh, doing so nicely. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, self-doubt is always present. There's always that voice going, oh my God, shut up, Ringland, you're waffling. <laughs> So that's lovely you're to hear. Waffling, Thank you. <laughs> um, it, it felt something that, uh, you know, I'm in my late 30s now. Something that has been really interesting to me in the last 10 years is perspective and universal truth. And all of those movies that we watch that are so compelling where you see one event from multiple mm. perspectives and where lives overlap and what knowledge is brought to what perception and that sort of thing. And so I think all of that might have been in the back of my mind as I was writing the first draft because it seemed to come really naturally to um, cut away from Alice and show the same thing that she's experienced from a different character's perspective um, so that 
the reader could enjoy that deliciousness of being the all-seeing eye mm. because I enjoyed the deliciousness as the writer. Mm. And so I thought if I'm enjoying it, the reader's going to enjoy it as well. Um, and there were some perspectives that I added in in later drafts. In the first draft, it was always Alice, Candy, Twig and Jean uh, and Moss. In the first draft, Dylan got his own perspective, which I later cut and changed to, to Lulu's perspective because my publisher and I worked together and both decided that Dylan just didn't get a perspective. He just didn't need to have his own perspective. Didn't deserve, didn't perspective. deserve his own <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Um, and then and in later drafts as well, um, like in the first draft, I did cut and give Alice's dad and that stayed where his perspective shifts, where he's driving. Because part of the book as well for me as the writer was just exploring that idea of we're never wholly evil generally or wholly good. There is a choice in all of us to be who we are uh, within reason, you know, medical uh mental health, that sort of thing. And so I wanted to explore the beautiful messes in characters and it's been really incredible since the book has come out to get reader reactions to characters like June, who I hold very dear to me, even though she did infuriating and hurtful things. And some readers have said to me, oh, June, and other readers are out for blood. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful experience to have created messy characters that people can love or empathise with or just flat out mm. want to witch hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I liked Moss. Oh, I love Moss. And when I say I liked Moss, <laughs> <laughs> I would, is what I'm I saying. Oh, oh, what he does needs, with animals. Oh, I know. <laughs> How he cares. How he cares. His care. <laughs> his demonstrated yeah, what I should have said. care. Yeah, I didn't know that was oh, a oh, This is the <laughs> best. Give a man a puppy. This is the best. Ones. This is the best. Um, and the ending is quite open-ended. Mm-hmm. And which we're very much hoping is leaving the book open for a sequel. Amazing. Um, I... I didn't. I've just come back to England in the last month from a sixty-day tour in Australia, which is I'm very aware unheard of and and what well, nearly unheard of, but just really amazing for a debut. Oh my god, novelist! How fun. Yes, it was. It was grueling and it was joyful and it was it was beyond what I thought was possible. And so I went around um, a lot of Australia because Australia is so big. I went around a lot of Australia's cities visiting readers and. Um, I had never thought about a sequel. It had not even entered, honest to God, not even subliminal thought that you notice and watch it flutter by. And one of the top five questions that I got in events was, are you writing a sequel? And it had just never occurred to me. And so I just feel really lucky that people have cared enough and loved the characters enough and felt that the ending was open-ended enough uh, to to feel that so gutturally and to have this look in their eyes, like kind of like they wanted to kill me if I said no, but sort of so hopeful and invested for just any answer that would. Yeah. Which, which makes me wonder, do you did you feel that the story was over for you? 
Because a lot of the uh, authors that we speak to mm. say, um, you know, I, was, I wrote the beginning and then I, I got the middle and I got stuck, but then I wrote the end and mm. then and then I knew where I was going. And mm. there seems to be a very definitive, yes, and this is where the story closes mm. in my head. Whereas I wonder for you if it didn't feel like it was completely finished or... Yeah, I had the ending at the beginning. And so I knew where I was writing to before I wrote the first three chapters and the first three chapters sort of finish just before Alice wakes up in hospital, which is not a spoiler. Uh, and from there, I didn't know how to get from there. I just had this vision. I had this scene of her at the end. And so I knew where I was writing to. And then I pulled the ending apart a bit to shake it up, put my fingers in and, and shake it loose a bit to give a bit more exposition. I'm talking around it so much so that I don't give anything away. But I feel like, I feel like on one hand, Alice was like where the book ends, she's only just getting started. Yeah. But I feel like in terms of the story that's being told, it's sort of everything that you need, that, that we need to know about what shaped her life from, and how you survive from a nine year old to a 29 year old. How do you make something else out of your life rather than just haul that trauma? that all of us keep in our sore place, can trauma be more than dead life? So that was something I really wanted to explore with Alice, you know, as she grew up and goes through the confusion of Augie and, and where he, you know, and where that goes and, and then the desert and thinking she'd found a safe place and then maybe having to reinvestigate that and just what else can we become other than what other people do to us? Oh, thing. I feel like I want to hug you. Oh, you, you know I'm up for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's, it's funny with endings, isn't it? Isn't it? Because like sometimes there's kind of quite a tendency to try and find something that's neat. Yeah. And um and and then when you're like, I feel like my book ending was quite neat. Yeah. And like and and there's kind of like a even though it can be like oh that feels good, but then there's also the part of you that's like oh maybe it's nicer to kind yeah. of leave a bit open. To, yeah, yeah. It doesn't need to always be the kind of ending that people would expect. Yes. Or that everyone would get. Okay, then great. That's yeah. Over. Yeah, yeah. But um that's more of a point than anything else. No, but and I but I think it's on that note with endings because I know that a lot of writers struggle with endings. Mm. I, even though I had the scene from the beginning, I still struggled with how to get there, you know, it's it's always a struggle. It's a joyful struggle, but you know, how to get there. And I think the thing for us as writers that's so important is that the ending needs to ring true for your gut. Like in that place where we keep our base honesty with ourselves. Mm. If you try and write an ending to satisfy the imaginary or non-visible reader and you don't, the thing is that a reader can be a multitude of people and it's a faceless crowd and audience who bring your story to life, but will have varying opinions. So some people, for example, have read the ending of Lost Flowers and said, oh my God, it's so realistic. Yes, it's so open-ended. This is real life. Other people have read it and being like, well, life, it just, life just doesn't wrap up like that, does it? And so, you know, it's, life is never usually that neat, but sometimes we just need to have a satisfying ending in this world that we live in. And, and all of those things are valid and exciting mm. as the author to hear. And they also drive home that, that resonance of the ending needs to come from, from 
where it lives in in you as the creator and the author so that no matter what anybody tells you about it down the track you know inside yourself where you've left your Alice you know it's so true because like some people will tell you you know you have to think about your reader like that's you know think about your audience who's your what what do your audience want but essentially the creative process you have to write what feels right yes that's that's, it's about tuning into that and not doubting that yes. voice yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well I think that's a pretty lovely place to end actually talking about endings we could have chatted oh, to you are you going to write the sequel oh well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> um, I never say never okay it won't be the next thing that I write but a gift that readers have given me that I couldn't see for myself was the possibility of the fact that Alice lives beyond lost flowers along with the women and men and dogs around her Okay, that's a better ending. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for speaking so beautifully about writing. It's really inspiring. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for being the writers and the supporters that you are. There are people that are going to be listening to this and, and it will stop them from giving up. So thank you so much for what you do and thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. 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 Thank um, Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve. Mm-hmm.